0: So give me an idea, like, how did it start? Can you sort of take us back to that?
1: Yeah, so this happened um, in April. Uh, I got an inbound, actually directly to my calendar, from our ATS, what's called an applicant tracking system. And that's just automated human resources software.
0: That's John Wu. He's the head of growth at a cryptocurrency company called Aztec Protocol. It provides a kind of VPN for crypto transactions to make them more private. And this past spring, he gets a job application from a guy named Bobby Sierra, who says he's from Canada. So
1: I take a swing through the resume. It, it doesn't look that crazy. It's pretty solid. It looks like.
0: The resume looks workmanlike. Some experience in crypto mining, a little gaming. And there's a cover letter.
1: It, it feels like a relic of a, a different age. But this applicant happened to have a cover letter. I think what was really strange about the cover letter was the sign off. Uh, you know, a bunch of platitudes and then the sentence. The world will see a great result from my hands.
0: Instead of looking forward to talking or I can't wait for the interview, this guy writes, the world will see a great result from my hands.
1: And that's like the type of thing someone with a laser cannon arm and, you know, a microchip for an eyeball would say, you know, like really deep Bond villain, I live inside a volcano.
0: So it's safe to say that John Woo is feeling a little uneasy. Then, when the interview rolls around, Bobby Sierra apologizes and says, sorry, he can't use his camera. It doesn't seem to be working.
1: But this person was purporting to be a capital R real person. And so to interview someone like that and not have the camera on is a huge red flag.
0: According to Bobby's resume, he's from Canada. But his accent sounded really heavy, and John couldn't quite place it.
1: I asked him where he was based. He said Hong Kong.
0: So, red flag number two. And then... I asked him where he worked.
1: He couldn't answer that question at all. In fact, when pushed on where he last worked,
0: he actually muted
1: himself for two minutes.
0: Like he was muting the phone so he could ask someone for advice on what the correct answer was supposed to be. So when he finally came back on the line, John couldn't help but notice that it sounded like Bobby Sierra was sitting in a really busy office.
1: There were all these other voices who also sounded like they were either in a call center or interviewing people or something that sounded like he was one of many.
0: And then something made his heart skip a beat. He recognized the language in the background.
1: I heard a mix of both English and Korean. I kind of freaked out a little bit and I logged off and I kind of shut my computer down and I turned to my team and I said, I think I interviewed a North Korean hacker.
0: I'm Dina temple Rastin, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, the wild and woolly world of North Korea's hacking program. Turns out that weird interview was likely part of something much bigger. The North Korean government is not just trying to plant operatives in foreign crypto companies. It has set up a network of hacker hotels in other countries and launched a slew of high-profile crypto heists all done in a bid to fund the Little Hermit Kingdom's number one priority, its nuclear arsenal. Stay with us.
2: If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from
3: the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she? And will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
0: When John Wu got that resume and crazy cover letter back in April, it was in response to a Help Wanted ad. His company, Aztec Protocol, was looking for a full-stack engineer.
1: Essentially, full-stack means familiarity with both front-end technologies and back-end technologies, so websites and databases. So he was meant to be someone who could kind of do it all.
0: Someone who, depending on their seniority, could make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and would probably have access to all kinds of Web3 systems that would be helping people trade crypto. And though it seemed ridiculous, John Woo couldn't shake the feeling that it might have been a North Korean in that interview. It wasn't just the other voices he thought he heard speaking Korean in the background. There were other weirdly fishy things, like the guy's name.
1: Bobby Sierra. It's also a name that's so generic as to be comical. It's as if someone put... American name generator into the internet, and it just kind of popped out with Bobby Sierra.
0: And then John noticed just an hour or two after talking to Bobby that someone started tinkering with his online resume, like they were trying to improve it.
1: Some of the links that he had provided to his prior work were changing. He was already changing the pointer. He was maybe his overlord at the office was saying, Hey, that wasn't very effective. You know, maybe we need to polish up your fake resume a little bit. You know, he was getting career coaching advice, you know, from the North Korean government.
0: And John Woo admits that if you step back, all of this sounds a little far-fetched.
1: And of course, everyone was incredulous because I mean, how could you know? Also, I mean, what a ridiculous story. But then he heard this news. Now, Washington says Pyongyang is dispatching thousands of skilled IT workers overseas to seek employment. while opposing. Just
0: weeks after that weird interview, the FBI, State Department and Treasury released an advisory warning tech companies about North Koreans disguising themselves as ordinary tech workers. The release even listed things to watch for, things that sounded familiar to John, like job applicants who won't turn on their webcams and unexplained inconsistencies in their histories and odd work locations. Turns out John wasn't so crazy after all. And and how did you end the interview? Thank you very much. We'll be in touch.
1: Uh, no, I, I actually didn't give him that courtesy. I think when he came back and didn't address any of the other questions, uh, I kind of freaked out a little bit and I logged off and, I you know, my mind started racing. I was like, Has he already injected a vulnerability? Did I accidentally screen share him? Did I get a pull request? What emails has he sent my team?
0: John never confirmed that Bobby Sierra was actually a North Korean, but the interview did sound an awful lot like what the U.S. advisory told people to look out for. U.S. officials say they believe North Koreans have started applying for IT jobs for two reasons. The jobs allow them to repatriate money and avoid sanctions. And if it's a crypto company they're applying to, they have the added bonus of potentially allowing them to plant an insider who could help them launch something later, like a huge crypto heist. And while John Wu may have seen through Bobby Sierra's masterful disguise, he suspects Bobby probably had luck elsewhere, just because it's hard to find people to do this kind of work right now.
1: It's especially hard to hire for software engineers. The problem is, once you hire a contractor, they can use a subcontractor. You know, the contractor says, I've got this contract. I need to deliver a piece of code. Well, I don't have the guys either. I'm going to subcontract that out. And that subcontractor could have a subcontractor.
0: And that subcontractor, without realizing it, unknowingly hires a North Korean hacker. When we come back, why Pyongyang is banking on crypto. Back in the 1980s, I lived in northeast China, not far from North Korea. There were just a handful of Westerners living in that part of China at the time, and we'd meet up at the local hotels to drink on Friday nights. There was the Phoenix Hotel, the Metropole, the Chilbosan. This was back when China's hotels looked very Soviet. It was hard to get a foreign beer, and the hotel maids actually mopped the rugs instead of vacuuming them. Even back then, the Chilbosan was filled with North Koreans. And when Pyongyang got into the hacking business, the Chilbasan, with its great internet connections, became an outpost for North Korean hackers. And they were pretty obvious about it.
3: The dining, you know, is is all Korean food, um, the way the staff is. Uh, it's like a little, let's call it resort haven inside of China, but actually
0: fully North Korean. Eric Chen is a security researcher at Symantec, and he's one of the world's go-to guys on North Korean hacking.
3: And they call it the Hacker Hotel because, again, hackers are there, essentially in hotel rooms, uh, hacking away day and night and living uh, there at the same time.
0: Have, have you been there?
3: I have not been there. I've not been there. I, I don't, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I would be, uh, I would be uh, welcome.
0: I think you'd have to go in disguise, maybe. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> we'll work on that. The Chulbasan Hotel was a longtime base of operations for Pyongyang's premier hacking gang, the Lazarus Group.
3: We've been tracking them since the very early days, probably 2009. They conducted a mass distributed denial of service attack on the U.S. and South Korea. Some of those artifacts that we had covered at that time date back probably to as early as 2007.
0: Wow. Wow. How North Korea actually organizes its hackers is a bit complicated. North Korea has a reconnaissance bureau.
3: They are primarily underneath the People's Army in North Korea. And uh, most of the cybercrime operations are done under what's called the Third Bureau.
0: And then within the Third Bureau,
3: there's another group that is called Lab 110. Uh, But basically, you know, they're embedded within the the military operations of uh, North Korea.
0: The Lazarus Group is thought to be working for Lab 110. And it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that its work has become the stuff of legend.
1: ...are responsible for some of the most damaging and most well-known cyber intrusions in history, including the cyber attack targeting Sony Pictures... ...multi-million-dollar salaries of top Sony executives... ...the cyber heist of
2: Bangladesh Bank...
1: ...in this $81 million heist, we're learning...
2: ...and creating the WannaCry ransomware. ...ransomware on hundreds of thousands of computers around the world and nearly crippled the British healthcare system. So it's a significant impact...
0: So you have to wonder, given all this activity, Why don't the authorities just march down to the Chilbasan Hotel and round up some of these people? And there was talk of doing that. Then, a few years ago, the Chilbasan unexpectedly announced it was closing. U.S. officials say North Korea has moved its operations elsewhere. North Korea's motivations for all this hacking make it different from other countries. China tends to focus on intellectual property. Russia wants to sow chaos. Iran specializes in U.S. infrastructure hacks. And North Korea is and always has been all about the money. So in the old days, I'm sorry to be so retro and talk about dollar bills. I thought North Korea made the greatest counterfeit American dollars.
3: It's, it's actually good that you talk about the old days because a lot of people don't realize something about North Korea. What they're doing today with cyber offensive actions and in the financial world, is what they were doing in the past before computers existed. So North Korea has always been involved in organized crime, drug trade, counterfeiting, and that's how they were getting their money in the past. And now what we've seen is just a shift where they realize it's much easier to achieve those same objectives uh, just by using you know, cyber offensive operations.
0: And cryptocurrency exchanges are a new tantalizing target. They're brimming with money and they're surprisingly vulnerable. Most of these organizations
3: they're hacking are small startups and, to be frank, uh, have not invested that much in security as much as something like a main street bank.
0: Not only are mainstream banks harder to break into, but the sheer logistics of moving that cash into North Korea without being noticed is hard. If you wanted to steal, say, $81 million from Bangladesh Bank, how would you get it back to Pyongyang? You have to set up fake accounts, bribe bank managers. You have to have people go to the banks, take money out in suitcases, and then launder it through gambling junkets.
3: So if you think about all of that effort that's required to get that money, you have to pay all those middlemen as well. Uh, when we talk about cryptocurrency, they just transfer it one place to another and eventually cash it out. we talk about cryptocurrency, once it's gone, it's pretty much gone.
0: And the granddaddy Ocean's Eleven crypto heist of all time? It happened this past spring when Lazarus Hackers broke into a crypto company called Ronin.
3: It's based on what's called Ethereum, uh, so just type of cryptocurrency.
0: One of the problems with cryptocurrency that hasn't been worked out yet is that you can't just move digital coins from one blockchain to another automatically. Unlike the banking system, cryptocurrency exchanges are siloed. So companies have built something called a cryptocurrency bridge, And it allows you to change Bitcoin into, say, Ethereum. They're like the electronic equivalent of those foreign currency exchange booths at the airport. The crypto bridge requires that every transaction have keys to verify the transfer, like showing your passport at the airport booth. If you can steal enough of those keys...
3: It's like getting sort of the skeleton key for that network.
0: And this is what Lazarus did this past spring. They took over some keys at that crypto company, Ronin and then just transferred a bunch of cryptocurrency into their wallets. The haul, at the time, was some $600 million, all bound for Pyongyang's pockets.
3: You essentially have one person, at Kim Jong-un, who decides, I need, you know, a billion dollars raised this year to help fund the country. And so, hack whoever and whatever you can to make that money.
0: The big concern, at least for the U.S. and its allies, though, is where all that money is going. That's a North Korean propaganda video of a missile launch, a visual reminder of the great leader's top priority. Earlier this year, a UN report tried to quantify just how much North Korean hackers were stealing to support Kim Jong-un's obsession. The UN says it is conservatively in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And while hacking is helping with the bulk of that, sending out guys like Bobby Sierra to pose as IT specialists looking for work is adding to that bottom line, too. And it may be happening more than we think.
1: I actually talked to someone at a co-working space and he came up to me and he told me in confidence. John Woo again. You know, we had a North Korean on payroll. We had hired a guy and he had been working us for six months. And it wasn't until the FBI called us that we were like, oh, oh, golly. You know, we didn't do all the correct security checks here.
0: He says crypto heists are just objectively bad for everyone. Because in the end, whether you're a digital asset or an old fashioned currency, money is all based on trust.
1: Our number one goal in this industry is to keep users safe. And if users aren't safe, we aren't doing our job. So that's number one. Number two, and it sounds crazy to say this, this is a matter of national security. Like I talked to a guy who's trying to take money from me and like give it to the development of ballistic missiles. I mean that that's just
0: crazy. This is click here. When we come back, a glimpse of life in North Korea.
4: My name is Ji Hyun Park. I was born in North Korea in 1968, but I escaped to North Korea twice.
0: We thought we'd have Junyun Park give us a little taste of what it's like to live in a place so cordoned off from the rest of the world. A place that even if residents haven't left, they have an uncomfortable sense whatever is outside must be better. Jin Yun Park's father had never been outside of North Korea, but he was sure that his children should leave. His dying wish was for Junyun to flee North Korea with her brother.
4: So it was my father's last wish. Uh, he saw his brother died of starvation, and then military came to my house. They beat my younger brother. Uh, my younger brother holding my hand, and he said, "That Wake up, wake up, sister. We have, we have to go. My hometown is North Hamgyong province, so that is easy to cross the border and cross the riverside.
0: The riverside. By that she means the Tumen River. It runs along the borderlands between North Korea, China, and Russia.
4: In North Korea, it's totally winter and really, really
0: cold. And so did you walk across the ice? Yes, yeah. Junyun escaped with her little brother and her sister and they fled across the ice under cover of darkness. Guards began to fire at them, and her brother was lost in the confusion. She made it to China and stopped at a house just across the border and asked for some food.
4: Once in China, this person gave to us white rice and eggs and meat, so it was really surprised for me. We always hungry
0: and also cold. The North Korean government had always told a different story jin Yun said the government line was that in fact the north korean people were luckier than people in other countries because they got to eat rice every day people outside north korea the government told her had to live on a thin soup but that is totally liar those chinese people eat better than us jin Yun Park lived in china for 5 years there she married a man had a son and then was deported back to north korea for trying to escape, she was sent to a labor camp. And after she was released, she fled again and eventually ended up in the UK with her son. Now that she's on the outside, she says she can't help but be angry. I am really angry. North Korea government never care about the people. She remembers North Korean leader Kim Il-sung talking about the importance of having a weapons program.
4: In 1980s, Kim Il-sung first mentioned nuclear weapons because he said we divided the two country and now it's South Korea is American colony. So if we have no power...
0: Now she sees it all much more clearly.
4: North Korea government hacking this money and then used to make nuclear weapons and also missiles. That is terrorism.
0: Joonyan Park has a new memoir out She co-wrote it with another author, and it's about her life. It's called The Hard Road Out, One Woman's Escape from North Korea. You can read more from our interview with her at clickyourshow.com.
2: Yo,
1: on the mark.
0: Here are some of the big cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. House Democrats have suggested adding an additional $400 million to President Joe Biden's nearly $2.5 billion budget request for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA. The spending bill sets aside some $235 million for CISA's cybersecurity efforts and more than $120 million in infrastructure security, integrated operations and risk management. The additional monies are seen as a show of support for the agency, which has already received $1 billion in additional funding in the past year. The Israeli spyware company NSO Group is on the block, and an American defense contractor is interested in buying it. L3 Harris is said to be in talks to buy the surveillance company, which the Department of Commerce has blacklisted for its propensity to crack into iPhones of dissonance for various governments. The Washington Post reported that the Biden administration is concerned about the possible deal, as it would likely cause counterintelligence headaches and could pose a threat to national security and human rights. And finally, an animal story. Some residents in northwestern Canada lost their internet connections for eight hours last week in an outage that has since been attributed to a beaver, the furry one with long teeth. Though the animal was only an accessory to the outage, A local official told Canadian television that a fibre optic cable strung along with a power line was taken down when an aspen tree fell across the wires. The official said the tree had been downed by nature's architect. Canadian authorities have been chewing on this problem for a while. Communications are still at risk. The beaver remains at large. Oh, and remember that contest we announced after our episode on the video game Genshin Impact? We asked you to tell us why Chinese regulators took such a dislike to a song produced out of Taiwan. Listeners from around the world reached out with their answers, and a few of you came up with the correct response. Turns out, the composer added Morse code to his song to spell out the message, Liberate Hong Kong, the revolution of our times. Three lucky winners will be getting some free Click Here swag. Suki in New York City, Carla in Washington, D.C., and one anonymous listener in Tokyo, Japan. Today's episode was produced by Will Jarvis and Sean Powers, and it was edited by Karen Duffin with fact-checking from Darren Ancrum. Ben Levinston composed our theme and original music for the episode. We had additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Click Here is a production of the record by Recorded Future. We want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. And you can connect with us at clickyourshow.com. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and we'll be back on Tuesday.
2: Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to therecord.media.